to the Constructionist Podcast hosted by Caleb. Just as we grow gardens and build buildings, God is building you through the renewing of your mind. The sufficiency of the scriptures is paramount in your journey and every week Caleb will challenge you to make them a central part of your life and worldview. Join us now as we explore the world through the ancient lens of God's word. again for another episode of the Constructionist Podcast, and I thought I would take a time in this episode to discuss a subject that I find quite fascinating, and I hope that you would find it fascinating as well. As you maybe have heard in past episodes, if you've listened to quite a few of them, one of my uh, ongoing interests is in the realm or the study of hermeneutics. Now, I don't recall having done any kind of explicit explanation or teaching on hermeneutics and what it is and that kind of thing, but I will tell you that it is an underrated discipline of mind that because it is underrated, because it is not something that is emphasized or talked about, in my view, in my observations, it's in a lot of ways what causes a huge amount of problems in the world today in regards to communication and the understanding of meaning and what that's all about. Now, uh, some have interpreted or defined the word hermeneutics as the quest for meaning, or and I don't mean meaning as in what's the meaning of life. I mean meaning in the sense of uh, making sense out of the world around you. Because really, we live a life that is surrounded by input, constant input, all the time. Words, signs, messages, stories, blogs, news, communication, speeches, uh, rules, guidelines. There's, there's uh, just average everyday conversation. There are there's almost no moment of a day where you're not being attacked, or I should say, uh, you're not being influenced by something trying to say something to you. It happens all the time. Pick up a book and read it. Uh, browse through a magazine, read it. Your phone sends you a text message, you read it. There's a notification about something, you get it. You get instructions at work, you give instructions at work. Uh, the, your body's telling you something. There's a pain in my foot. I got a funny spleen, whatever it is. It goes on and on and on like that of constant, um, data coming your way. So hermeneutics is all about determining meaning. How do you know what is being meant by the thing coming at you? Now, the reason why this is important, uh, I remember back when Bill Clinton was president and remember if, if you were alive in the nineties, uh, and, and in your like early twenties or something like I was, one of the things that happened was he was impeached over this whole Monica Lewinsky business. And he actually went and, and was questioned on trial and uh, in court. And he was asked a question and I don't know what the question is. I probably ought to go look it up, but his response was quite famous. His response was, is it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. Okay, so he stated in his sworn response, testimony or whatever, I hear the question you're asking, what do you mean by is? Because <laughs> he had a few different ways to answer it. He, he auto automatically or, or obviously knew what he probably should say, 
But you know, Bill Clinton's a trained lawyer. He uh he he knows how to wheedle and deal in the literary world to say one thing and maybe mean another. I don't know. Uh that's just you know, there's all sorts of things that fly around about the Clintons and the things that they've done all these years. Uh, even Hillary, when she was Secretary of State, has a, a plethora of, of sort of negative press about her and how she's dealt with communication and, and words and what they mean and things like that. So anyway, the point that I'm making is, is he said, well, that depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. And that's really what uh, so much of our conversation today, even more so today than in the 90s, comes down to is, is what do you mean by that? So you watch these videos on YouTube and you know, you'll see some guy doing a question and answer session at a university or something like that. And quite often the person asking the question is a university student and they're asking a particular question. And the the gifting of the person who's answering the question is to cut to the heart of what is being stated or to bring broader clarification to what is being stated, which inerts the 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 meaning or the or the intent of the question being asked and basically makes it a mute question or something like that. So it, it's quite stunning to see these kind of things happen and to see and realize that people don't have full knowledge of their subject matter that they're talking about. Now, this is the problem when you read the book of Job. When you get to the end of the book of Job, it's stated twice when it gets up to uh, Elihu, the final friend of Job who has something to say. And it's referred to twice in those closing chapters that all of Job's other friends were speaking words without knowledge. So words without knowledge are words that fall short in meaning. They don't have the clout. They don't have the oomph that is required to get across the totality of what is being said. So hermeneutics is all about this concept of what is meaning. What does meaning mean? What's the meaning of meaning? What is it that's being said? What's behind what's being said? What's the ideas and concepts around what's being said? There's a lot to it. Now, when we consider these kind of things, it, it, it takes a kind of discipline of mind or a training, I should say, of mind to start seeing this here and there. And and I find myself, I think, a little bit more than I used to, but I find myself responding back sometimes to people and saying, now, you say this, do you mean such and such by it? And then the person clarifies what they want to say or whatever. And sometimes I'm right and sometimes I'm wrong in my assumption of what I thought was being said. So hermeneutics is a subject that I've been dealing with for quite a long time because I did my bachelor's degree in the area of hermeneutics. And now uh, I think I've mentioned a few times on this podcast that I'm doing a master's degree and I'm in the process of putting my thesis together. And so one of the things I'm pondering is from a biblical perspective, you have what's called the grammatical historical method of interpretation of the Bible. It's plastered on dozens and dozens of seminary websites. Uh, it's it's codified in the doctrine or the, the statement of biblical inerrancy, the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, that the way to interpret the Bible is the grammatical historical method or the or the historical grammatical approach or whatever you want to call it. Um Historical, literal, some people call it. There's a couple of different terms or phrases for it. But the most common one is grammatical historical method. So that's what tends to pop up a lot. So what I'm trying to do is um, 
research this method, where it came from, what were the issues going on at the time that it was developed after the Reformation or during the Reformation in the 16th century, what brought it about, what is sort of the spirit of it, okay? And I'm suggesting that that in the end, we will find out that it's actually a poor way of interpreting the Bible using the grammatical historical method. It's not a way that will ultimately bring the most fruit out of the text. So let's discuss for a minute, really, hermeneutics and how it, it, it operates. What we need to realize is that the word itself, hermeneutics, it's a big word. It basically means interpretation in one sense. It means interpretation. It also has this whole concept of determining meaning and things like that. But you do this through trying to interpret the statement, okay? Now, as a very silly and basic example of this, one time my brother-in-law and I were driving down the road, and we saw this sign on the side of the road. And the sign said, pigs. That's all it said was pigs. Now, a boring person, (laughs) I say boring, a pragmatic person would say, oh, Apparently, somebody near the vicinity of that sign has pigs they want to get rid of, or they want to pass on to somebody else. It doesn't say, it didn't say pigs for sale. It didn't say petting zoo of pigs. It it just said pigs. So we had to infer that it was a nearby property that had pigs, and they were letting you know that there were pigs there, and apparently the assumption was, is we could go and offer a certain amount of money and get ourselves a pig. Now, I mean, that would make sense, but you see what I'm saying. It was just a word that said pigs. But then we started joking around and saying, maybe pigs is a, is an acronym for something. Maybe it means people in guilty suspicion or something like that. And you could, you can just start playing around with it and make up all sorts of silly things. I mean, was it an, was it an, an exclamation point as in he was saying, pig! because they were up ahead on the road and we might run into them or something like that or was he or was it a sign of exasperation maybe the guy was saying ah pigs as if it's like he had enough of them and he just wanted the world to know that so you see what i mean what did the sign mean there was kind of a 90 percent chance that it meant hey i got pigs for sale but that's not what it said it just said pigs So this is what we're dealing with all the time when we have things happen around us. We get uh, looks, we get body language, we get tone, we get uh, hand gestures, we get all sorts of things that add to the meaning of what is being stated literally on boring black and white paper or screen, so to speak. So... It's a matter of trying to convey more than what is what is the letter stated there to be seen by the eye. So hermeneutics is can be traced back quite far. A long way, actually. It has a long history in human literature. But the word itself is derived from the Greek god Hermes. So if you remember in the Bible, Hermes is mentioned because Paul and Silas went to a town and Paul does most of the talking. He was a talkative guy. 
but the things he talked about were good and right and, and true. So he was the one that did most of the actual preaching. Then they healed somebody or something. I don't remember the exact details, but a, a miracle was performed. And so the people of that town said, oh, the gods have come down to us in the form of men. And so it says that they called Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And then Silas they referred to as Zeus. Or it might have been Barnabas. I don't remember exactly. But anyway, Hermes was the name given to Paul. He got this sort of nickname in this town. And so this is an Acts. You can read about it in the book of Acts in Paul's missionary journeys. So Hermes was given, the name was given to Paul because he was a chief speaker. Now, Hermes was the god of messengers, messages, but he was also the god of boundaries. Uh, in our everyday usage of understanding, the, he was the god that is also called Mercury. So we have a planet named Mercury. But the, uh, the, the, the other name for him is Hermes, if you go Greek or if you go Roman, depending on which way you want to jump. But he's the same guy, Mercury Hermes. So Hermes was always depicted as a guy with wings on his feet uh, because he was quick. He had to deliver messages quickly. So the interesting thing about this is that he also, at the same time, is the god of boundaries. Now, I find that fascinating. I find that with Greek thought and with Greek philosophy and with Greek words, which we as Westerners, if you if your if your descendancy is via Europe uh, as sort of the white the white races, I could put it that way. I'm not being racist, I'm just stating an observable fact. The white races coming down, which also come into America and Canada and in Australia and New Zealand and white South Africa and that kind of thing. That that whole realm is sort of referred to, even up into Slavic areas of, of uh, Western Russia and all that. That is all sort of seen as Western or Greek thinking. So if you're of that kind of line, now this is a gross uh, ex uh, uh, simplification, broad, broad generality. But if you're of that line, then you tend to lean toward Greek thinking, which means that you categorize, you analyze, you systematize, that kind of thing. You tend to lean that direction, uh, not accounting for male and female differences or various cultural differences or even language differences, uh, because people's worldview is actually altered and changed by their language and how they view the world in their mind through the way the language is designed and, and, and implement, implemented and things like that. But Aside from all that, uh, this is just super broad. Oh, be quiet, Mr. Watch. So this is all just super broad generalizations. Uh, but Greek thinking is very compartmentalized. It breaks things down into minute detail. So the god of Hermes, the god of boundaries, and the god of messengers, or the written word, or the delivery of a communication, the two go together. So when Bill Clinton said it depends on the, what the meaning of the word is, is he was basically trying to push the boundary. What he was kind of saying was, is, well, I know what you mean by your question, but I'm pushing it this way. I'm stepping, I, I want freedom to step over the boundary of your meaning into something else. So words have meanings. Remember what I said about pigs. 
Yeah, it says pigs. So pigs are somehow involved in what he says. But what really is he saying? Is it a warning that pigs are up ahead on the road? Is it a sign that they're for sale? Is he exasperated by them? You see what I mean? The, the pigs become the center by which a lot of other concepts float around. The Greek word that goes along with this is called epinosis. It is a, a rounding of knowledge. So you, like an epicenter of a, of an earthquake, it, it begins, the epicenter is that you have a center and then it, it reverberates out words from it. So you have knowledge and then there's a reverberation or, or spreading outward of that knowledge. And so to know something and then to know the things around it. Now, the only way I was going to ultimately know what the pig guy meant was by turning down that road and hopefully seeing another sign that said pigs with an arrow and actually asking him. Maybe that's what would have happened, but it didn't. I just drove by. So so I'm I'm left all these years later sort of wondering, what did he really mean by pigs? But I can't say that the sign said pigs, and therefore what he meant was is he had kittens to give away. You see what I mean? That goes be way beyond the scope of the meaning of the word pigs, of the boundaries to the meaning. Now, if we don't have boundaries to our words and our sentences and our phrases, If there's no boundary there, then everything is open for discussion. And if you argue that meaning means nothing, that you can make it mean anything you want, then I can make anything you say mean what I want. And I can say that what you mean is the exact opposite of what you're saying, and you're going to get upset with that. So it's like having a conversation with someone who, and I've actually done this. I had a conversation with a chap uh, who, when I, I stated to him, so I can, I could take a phrase out of a paragraph that you state, you can make a statement and I can take a small phrase out of that and make it mean something that it's not because I've taken it now to context. And, and he didn't, he didn't want me to do that. Fair enough. Because as the, as the producer of the words, you have a statement that you're trying to make and get across to somebody else. And so the problem is with sort of postmodern thinking and now, now kind of post-postmodern thinking, is that we demand everybody to accept what we're saying on our terms, but yet at the same time, we want the freedom to say whatever we want. Well, that means that, uh, you know, I just because I said this today doesn't mean it's going to be the same in two years from now. I might change my mind. It's like, well, how do I know? How, how, what, where is the definitiveness of what's being said or what's being done or what things like that. And uh, so it's a challenge. It really is. We have to recognize as humans that there are boundaries everywhere. We cannot live life without boundaries. So you know, you step out of an airplane without a parachute on, you will fall and die. There's a boundary there. Uh, if you go down too deep, like the people in that submarine did uh, a couple months ago, that there's a point where the pressure is so much if you if you're not pushing back correctly it's going to take over the, the the boundary breaks so this is also true of words and ideas and 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 philosophies is that they have boundaries and so everything that we do if we say yes to this we say no to a whole bunch of other things it's all about boundaries 
So Hermes was the god of both. Not only did, was he the god of the message, messengers or the message, he's also the god of the boundary. So there has to be a recognition that words have limits. The meaning of a word has a limit. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't have layers to its meaning, but it does mean that there's a limit to what it means. So at some point, it has to stop. <laughs> and, and it simply doesn't mean more than that. It could, it could mean something deeper than that, but not, not something beyond that in a completely illogical or contradictory or unrealistic way. So this is sort of the philosophical idea behind hermeneutics. So I want to challenge you now as you read the Bible. I want to challenge you now as you listen to people around you talk, as you ask questions, as you sort of delve into the media, into photographs, into uh, film, into plays, into news reports, into podcasts, into blogs, into television programs. What is being said really? What's being passed on? What what did the writer of that, act, what's he actually trying to do? In some ways, he's trying to educate you in a certain field or area of thought, but he's also trying to get across something. Now, we have to respect the source of where the information is coming from. If the, if the sign says speed up at 55, we respect that sign. The, the authorities put the sign there to tell us that going faster than that technically is dangerous. It becomes dangerous. It's starting to get dangerous, not only for you, but for other people on the road, whatever. Uh, and, and so we have to realize that, okay, there is a physical world in which we live where there are boundaries. This is true in sports all the time. If somebody hits that baseball or somebody kicks that football and it doesn't go where they want it to go, it's a foul or it's a missed goal or it's a something. There's a boundary there. Everybody knows that. And yet when people talk and communicate, for some reason these things get blurred and they break down and, and they say that there is no there is now no more meaningful conversation because meaning has no relevance. There are people who actually believe that. I'm I'm not quite sure how they live and I'm not quite sure how they know what they're saying is accurate because what they said now has no meaning. So saying that you that nothing has meaning is meaningless. You see what I mean? So it, it becomes a challenge. We have to acknowledge that words have boundaries and that those boundaries cannot be moved and that it is our job as listeners and as an intelligent people that God has granted reasoning capacity with to work these things through. So that's your challenge. This is about hermeneutics. This is about determining how th what things mean, what are the boundaries of what things mean, what are the tight units of what things mean, how do they interact with each other. These are the kind of things we need to question and search and ponder and probe if we're going to make any sense of the billions and billions of words being thrown around constantly, getting dumped on us all the time, trying to influence our thoughts, our minds, and how we are to process the world around us. So it's a challenge. The Word of God is central, core. We go there first. We go there last. We use it as our starting point. Uh, so God bless you, and I pray that you would be astute and wise and watching always uh, the world around you, but also primarily getting your knowledge and understanding and wisdom from God's Word. God bless you, and we'll see you again next time.
thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you were challenged and encouraged by what you heard today, please feel free to share it with any friends or family you like. You're welcome to email us at calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. That's calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. And remember to leave a comment at iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts.